Welcome to Heavy Networking, the flagship podcast of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network, running since 2010. When we started, SDN was just this clever idea, and 10 gig Ethernet was kind of expensive. Whether you started listening all the way back then or found us just now, you should know you are a most excellent human. I am Ethan Banks. Joining me today is excellent human Mary Fasang, who you might know online as the Network Green Girl or the Running Green Girl. Mary and I met at a tech event a while back, and I found out she's a fellow certification enthusiast. Today, along with co-host Drew Conroy-Murray, we're going to discuss Mary's certification study strategy. How should you prepare for a cert in 2023 when there's so much content, so many training options, as well as home labbing available? Mary has her opinions. So let's get into it. Mary, this is the first time you've been on heavy networking, so people don't know you. Maybe they know you from online, but they don't know you from the podcast. So please tell the nice people out there, who are you and what do you do? I am Mary, otherwise known as the Green Girl Online. I am the Green Girl because it's my favorite color. It's a often asked question. I live in the Bay Area. Um, I was, I'm originally from the Bay Area, went down to SoCal for college and came back up here to be close to family again. If you follow me on social media, the little square is my niece. She's 22 years old. She has a rare genetic disorder, Angelman syndrome. So she's nonverbal and she has some behavioral issues. The way I see it, she's like a brilliant person that's just trapped in this body that doesn't want to cooperate. I love to run, ride my bike, and I have my ham radio license. Ooh, you uh, you you got you got all the the nerdy hobbies then running, biking, which lend themselves to gear and shoes and yeah, all kinds of fun stuff like that. And then ham radio license. How long have you had your ham radio license? Um, I just renewed it. So whatever the renewal interval is, um, that's how long I've had it. I think ten years. I, I was working on it back in the 90s when Morse code was still a requirement. And that's the thing that stymied me. It's like, I just don't want to learn Morse. And I never got that. And I just never quite completed it. So I've always been a listener, but uh, never did get my call sign. Yeah, you don't have to learn that anymore. <laughs> no, I know. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone as a requirement. And uh, and they published, last I knew, they were publishing all the questions and answers so you could learn all the material that way. So, yeah. Well, how did yeah. you get into networking, Mary? Well, um, I went to Long Beach State. I graduated from high school in 1994. I went to Long Beach State to get my bachelor's degree in management information systems. This was the mid-90s. There were really only two degrees if you wanted to go into IT. There was comp sci and management information systems. So I knew I wanted to go into IT. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I fell in love with networking when I was in uh, Dr. Chung's Networking 101 course at Long Beach State. When he taught us the OSA model using an analogy of Romeo and Juliet speaking two different languages and needing to go up and down the layers of the OSI model to send love <laughs> letters to each other. I was sold. I was like, this is amazing. This is what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> I have taught the That's OSI cool. model, but never with an analogy so clever. Wow. Yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> um, so then I, uh, I started off as an intern at Nestle in Glendale, downtown Glendale. It's that tall building. Um, I know the headquarters moved, but it used to be the headquarters. I pushed around a Rubbermaid cart, lifted your really heavy CRT computer, grabbed your or monitor, picked up your computer, took it to the lab, backed it up, and I upgraded you from Windows 3.1 to NT. At that time, Nestle was on token ring. And in the IT cubicles, there were a bunch of no SNA signs, which makes me laugh really hard today. But back then, I would just stare at them and be like, what's SNA? Um, so that was my internship. 
funny thing, when I interviewed for the internship, they asked me if I wanted to work for free or get paid. And my dream was to make a two-digit figure per hour because I was making like 425 at the time. But I didn't have the nerve to ask for $10 an hour. So I asked for eight. They were like, yeah, fine. And I wished I'd asked for 10. So I'd tell everyone I made a two-digit per hour. <laughs> pay. Life goals, um, life goals. Exactly. My first real-time, um, full-time job was at the Kaiser Permanente Help Desk in Corona. I was still in school at the time and I worked at the help desk. I did PC mainframe and Apple support. The Apple computers were not on TCPIP. So when you had to troubleshoot a Apple problem, you had to walk over to a Mac and uh, troubleshoot like the printers they were on, I think Apple Talk or whatever that protocol is. Um, you can tell I'm not an Apple girl. Uh, and then from there, I thought I would become a systems administrator and then, you know, get really smart and eventually become a network engineer. I thought that my path was just made. So from there, I got sysad my first sysadmin job. My first sysadmin job, I was hired as a junior sysadmin. The uh, manager, IT manager, promised he would teach me everything I needed to know because at that time, I really only had help desk knowledge. Unfortunately, he was fired my second week there. So I was sitting in my cubicle thinking, I only had help desk experience. This is this is bad. And then a director came in and he's like, I have a demo next week. I need a DMZ set up. And he walked out of my cubicle. <laughs> so I really feel like I learned like most of what I needed to learn in life, like to survive in like three weeks at that job. I mean, I cheated. I, I called a, a provider. I was like in tears. I'm like, can you just give me a circuit to my lab and I'll pretend it's like a DMZ? Cause like, I, I just like, I, I studied this in school, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, and I tricked them into thinking I was an amazing sysadmin. So that was during the dot-com time. And I kept getting laid off and I get another sysadmin job and get laid off another sysadmin job. This is back when sysadmins did everything, right? Like I did network, I did phone. I was a jack of all trades. So I just figured, okay, I, you know, keep on studying and eventually I'll be able to become a network admin. But it didn't quite work out that way. I, it, I, the last time I was laid off from a sysadmin job, I couldn't find another sysadmin job. No small company was looking for someone. A very large enterprise wouldn't hire me. And I kind of went off the route for a while. Um, went off my career path for a while. And then um, it wasn't until 19 years into my career that a company was willing to take a chance on me. They basically said, yeah, we'll, we'll take a chance on you. We, we've looked at your experience and we think you can do it. And that's how I got my first network engineer title. Now, did you have certifications before then for network engineering? Or once you got a network engineering role, did you decide to start getting network certs? I did, uh, when, back when I got my MCSE 2000, I did get my CCNA. Mm -hmm. I was working on my CCNP. I passed switch. I, I failed switch the first time that I passed it. Then I decided to get my MBA all of a sudden because I was like, wow, if I go back to Long Beach State to get my MBA, since I already got my BS there, they would waive a ton of credits and it was really cheap. So I could pay for it out of pocket without a loan. So I went for my MBA, but it took me three years to get my MBA. So I only had like three weeks to pass another Cisco exam to keep my CCNA. Uh -huh. And I didn't realize at the time that you could retake exams. Um, it, as you guys recall, it was a very different world back then. You didn't have like this online community. So you didn't know a lot of things, you know. So I thought I had to take route. And 
trying to cram three weeks route, uh, that was, mm. I failed it. And I lost my Cisco certifications at that point. And I was pretty bummed. Um, so it was a while before I <laughs> started working on those again. So, okay. So you've done uh, some Microsoft stuff. You've done some Cisco stuff. Uh, wh what other cert tracks have you done over the years? Um, my first certification was the A+. I'd never yeah. heard of a certification before. One of my professors brought it up and I was like, wow, certifications, what's that? Um, and then I decided I'd become an MCSE and CCNP as soon as I found out about this. In order to test out the exam waters, I, I bought the A-plus book. I went down to Barnes & Noble, bought the giant A-plus book, biggest book I'd ever seen in my life. And I read through it once and I took the A-plus exam. It was a two-part exam at that time. It was yeah. very heavy DOS and interrupts and stuff that I don't think anybody even remembers anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff if you were a nerd that was building PCs by hand, you knew all that stuff because you exactly. were putting your ISA cards in and they had to, you couldn't have competing IRQs and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yes. So it wasn't that hard for me because like you said, Ethan, I was building computers at that time because I was trying to lap stuff up because that's back when you could, you know, just make up serial numbers or get like a bootleg number <laughs> to install everything. Um, so I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. And so then I dove into the MCSE and then um, I also got my CCNA at that time as well. Um, apparently you also have a, a PMP. So you're combining sort of like uh, technical certs with more project management stuff. What, what attracted you to the PMP? So the PMP is a complicated subject with me. The last sysadmin job I got laid off from, I could not find a new job. I didn't realize I'd kind of siloed myself into a, hey, I can run your entire company, but only up to a certain size. I'd never supported, you know, thousands and thousands of people or thousands of exchange servers. So the, my after my last um, layoff as a sysadmin, I, I could not find a job. So I decided that I would get my PMP because there were a lot of project management, job, management jobs at the time and they were paying better than what I was making as a sysadmin. You know, I was getting mm. calls from recruiters and they're like, well, just get a PMP. Like you have all the experience, just get a PMP. So I was unemployed and I just signed up. I lived in uh, Long Beach at the time. I signed up through the local PMI chapter in Orange County for PMP courses. There are uh, once a week on Saturday. and I I took the course and I passed the exam in something like three months altogether. I'm very good at project management, but I don't like to admit I'm very good at project management because I'm also a female <laughs> and I get stuck doing project management because it's expected right. that I'm good uh, at it. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's also my plan B in life. Like if ever something <laughs> happens to my sister and I have to take my niece full time, it would be very difficult for me to be on call or you know travel heavily. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a two thing. It was like, you know, I can't find a job right now. I may just have to get a PMP job so I can pay my, or a PM job to pay my bills. And it's my plan B in life for my niece. Cause the truth is it probably pays better than what I really love to do. And I would be able to care for her probably like, mm. you know, full time. So yeah, I have a PMP. <laughs> Looking at the notes here. Uh, you've also got some ITIL certs. You're also uh community emergency response certified. So you 
Do you have a problem yes. with certs, Mary? Do you have an addiction? I might. <laughs> I, I, might. I, I think younger me, probably more like it. Older me, not so much. I just do what's necessary these days. <laughs> I'm curious because so an MBA and a PMP, um, those aren't necessarily the things you find with folks who are also, you know, CCNA, A plus, uh, a bunch of other tech certs. Do you have you found that having that sort of project and business element has helped you in your career or is it more like something you sort of keep to the side like you mentioned using falling back on pmp if, if you need to i keep them quiet i don't advertise if you go look at my linkedin profile you would see i do have an mba pmp but i don't talk about my degrees or and i you know i don't talk about having a pmp i think that um the skills i learned in business school probably do help me i mean i can I don't know, regurgitate business stuff. I can understand business stuff. Mm -hmm. PMP, I, the only thing it helps me is that some people get impressed by it being on my resume. I, I believe I'm a very good project manager, but I don't have to like follow the PMBOK in order to be a good project manager. I'm extremely organized and I'm very like methodical with how I do things. Mm-hmm. I guess I asked because, you know, there's this trope in IT that they aren't always good about thinking about the business side of the organization or inter- interfacing with the business side of the organization. And so I'm curious if you feel like your MBA has helped you sort of get over that uh, that hurdle. It's a good question. I don't know. I think that in terms of working with the business, I'm good at making I'm good at explaining technical things in a non-technical way so they can understand or mm-hmm. translating into t- between like the business and the technical team. As far as, you know, did my MBA give me those skills? I honestly don't know. It was just, right. I got my MBA because I always wanted to have a PhD. Like it was just like, you know, one of your like five-year-old goals. <laughs> but once it, once I actually got to college, I was like, this is ridiculous. I'll just somehow get through my MBA, but forget the PhD. That was just a silly childhood dream. Like, I don't want to do that much schooling. So there wasn't any other reason I got my MBA other than I wanted the graduate degree. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. So you've taken lots of certs, Mary. Uh, Do you usually pass an exam on the first attempt? And I'm asking you as someone who has failed many exams myself and some of them more than once, a few more than twice. It varies. I pass some on the first exam first attempt i failed others the 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 exchange exam back in 2000 i was so cocky i was like i've done more migrations <laughs> from exchange 55 to 2000 than anyone on earth i can do this in my sleep i was so shocked by that exam i don't think i knew the answer to a single question I, you're bringing I, up bad memories i <laughs> i do fail that exam i don't think i ever passed it it was the most ridiculous exam I'd seen up until that point. Like, I was like, where did, where did these questions come from? Like, what human being does this? I went back and bought the book like a big girl, studied, went back, failed it. And then miraculously, I passed it on the third time. But I did think in my head, if I can't pass this a third time, I'm going to give up on my MCSE because this test is crazy. Like, like, nobody configures their exchange like that, like the questions they were asking. So... Why do you think there's that disconnect between what you actually did in the real world and what was in the book? The exam was very heavily, um, I'm sure Ethan will attest this. It was for like people that were managing multiple exchange servers for huge enterprises. So like if your whole exchange environment just collapsed, you're like, oh, I'm going to just restore the CEO really quickly. And then it was like, I don't even know who managed an exchange environment like that at that time. Like it was ridiculous. 
maybe someone at some big company. I mean, all the big companies I knew were like on Lotus Notes and stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Or even uh, what was that Novell one? Whatever, group-wise. Group-wise. group wise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I don't know anyone on a huge exchange at that time, on a huge exchange. Yeah, and and, and, and plus it. it was going from Exchange 55 to 2000, which was taking you out of the standalone Exchange 55 world into the Active Directory yes. integrated world. It was such a massive change. Oh, mm-hmm. brutal. Was yeah. that the hardest you exam you've ever taken, Mary? Would you guess that exchange exam? Or was there was there a tougher one? I thought Encore was really hard, honestly. I don't, part of me wonders if it's just because it's the last exam I took. Um, but up until Encore, I did think ex- that the exchange exam was the hardest. Because I really felt like you should know, you should have some honest stab at that exam if you'd worked so much with exchange. But there was just no way. There was nothing in my day-to-day that was on that exam. It was crazy. So why was Encore so bad in your mind? Encore was a lot of material. It was really, really, really broad. And just like you had to know a little bit about a lot of things. And so by the time I got to the end of it, I couldn't even remember studying the first topics. Mm. It it was, and also Encore it has the new DevNet stuff, which is my weakness. Um, so I was pretty intimidated by that. And there were like five chapters of wireless in the Encore book. So I like nearly killed myself. And on the actual exam, I think I had like two wireless questions. <laughs> I lost a chunk of my life studying wireless <laughs> for two questions. <laughs> you can tell I'm a wireless girl, clearly. So uh, the networking space and probably other disciplines do as well. They keep adding new technologies, but the old ones are also still around. Do you think that's making it harder to get through networking certifications now in 2023? Absolutely. Just like how Encore was such a struggle for me. Mm. But by the same token, it it kind of like hands you the new material you need to learn like on a platter, right? What do I need to stay relevant? Oh, maybe I should probably go look at the latest blueprint. So I think it also helps you stay relevant, even though it's painful when you're studying. Mm. But do we still really need, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on this because I feel like networking should be like maybe reinventing what the new <laughs> standards are. And this is the way you build a network so we can retire some of that older stuff. And we've done some of that. Like you, you don't have to know frame, re, frame relay like you used to have to know. And you're not digging into ISDN and PPP and a lot of other things like you used to have to know in as, at least True. in as much detail as you used to have to know those things. There is some retirement going on, but there's so much of it that hangs on. I look at what the CCNA book and even the CCENT, the prep books, they're massive. They're hundreds of pages, tons of diagrams, glossaries, indices, just filled with terms and jargon. And I, I couldn't imagine coming into networking cold in 2023. It just seems like it would be uh, overwhelming. But um, but Mary, somehow you're, you're, you're getting through it. Uh, well, you're not that new either. You've, you've got a lot of years behind you, but... You know, even as you're taking these new tests, you're getting you're getting through the material somehow. Somehow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this sort of goes back to that uh, thing about the exchange exams. Do you feel like the certifications actually help you in make you a better engineer, or is it more I have to jump this hurdle to get the next level of the job? Both. There's stuff on the certification exams, like Ethan just mentioned, the old stuff, right? it's unlikely a lot of that will ever pop up. Um, You just memorize it to pass a test. Uh, Like Encore, there's a lot of comparing OSPF to EIGRP. Uh And you don't encounter EIGRP that much in the wild anymore. But you memorize it for the exam. Um, 
I think the studying for the exam and the labbing for the exam are really what help you and teach you because you make those dumb mistakes and then you remember those mistakes when you get to production. Like I know like like one thing in labbing is you always forget to, to, to enable interfaces, right? You build your lab, you're all happy and you're like, oh my God, I didn't know shut. I didn't know shut. But then when you get to actual production, like, right, you remember things like that. Oh, let me make sure I've enabled all my interfaces because you burned yourself so much while labbing. Uh, I, I actually think the studying for the certification is more important than actually taking the test. Uh, when I, when people ask me for advice, I often tell them, if you don't have the money to study for the test, don't, don't take the test. Just get the blueprint, study all the material, you know, until the point that you feel like you could pass the test. And then you've gained that knowledge without spending the money on a test that you may or may not pass. I don't know that the certification letters are always that important. I hadn't thought about it the way you you put it uh, exactly, but I know, but you're bringing back memories again. When you do lab work and you make those mistakes in the lab, I am realizing now because of the way you put that, yeah, you end up writing into procedures uh, things to prevent the mistake you made in the lab that would have been catastrophic had it been production. Uh, especially when you do them repeatedly, trying to understand some concept or understand the implications of, I type this command, ooh, I just triggered a spanning tree convergence event. Everybody stop talking for the next however many minutes it took spanning tree to decide to reconverge. You you learn all that stuff and then you write procedures in place. I I had a a job in one of my roles where I had to review other people's procedures. And it was a lot of times because of lab work, I'd say they'd get to step four and I'd be like, ooh, they don't want to do that there. And I'd punt the change back to him and go, you don't want to do this here. You want to do this and this and then flip it around in this order. That way everything's going to be cool. And the lab work was a, was credit for that. Even if I hadn't taken the exam, as you said, there's a lot of benefit to be gained uh, from that lab work. So Mary, let's say um, you, whoever out there listening, they decided on the next exam to be taken. How, how do you, if you're Mary, make a plan about how to prepare for that exam? What, what are your next steps? Well, let's talk about an RC because that's my next exam. And as I mentioned earlier, I've been chasing the CCMP for over two decades now. So it's like a lot of people are like, why are you even bothering anymore? I'm like, because this thing has eluded me for like 20 years. I need to get the CCMP. Like I just, it's after I failed that route exam, you know, after my MBA, I was just so sad. So an RC. You have a little Ahab thing going on here. You're going to going to get that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like hurting my feelings. Um, So uh, this is going to be Cisco centric because that's all I've been doing recently. But, you know, I buy the book from Cisco Press. I buy it directly from Cisco Press so I can get the hard copy book. I get hard copies for anything that I really need to study seriously, like a certification. And then I get the ebook copy from ciscopress.com as well. Then I download the ebook and then you can transfer it. I have a Kindle Paperwhite. Um, I love it. Like I realized that the Kindle fire was just too heavy, apparently for my delicate wrist to hold up really long flights. <laughs> let's, let's have that to Mary's list of first world problems. Um, and the Kindle Paperwhite is like Paperwhite is awesome. I can sit, you know, a really long flight and hold it. So I transfer it via a USB cable. Um, I download it to my computer and I use Calabri. I don't know how you pronounce it, caliber, to uh, transfer it to my Kindle. And then I just leave my Kindle in airplane mode all the time. So the battery just lasts forever. It's like mm-hmm. the greatest thing ever, I think. So anyway, so I get the hard copy book and I get the ebook and then I start reading. Um, and and then the to- like I read through it and then the topics that, um, like the main topics that I want to focus on for an RC, it's EIGRP, OSPF, and BGP, right? So then 
I went online and then I go on YouTube and I see how different instructors present the material because different instructors present material in different ways. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Like, for example, I think Chris Bryant is really good at teaching spanning tree protocol. Like he makes it funny and you remember it. Um, with, with CCNA students, when they're struggling, I will like point them to Todd Lamley's material because it's very like conversational and engaging. And he makes the CCNA topics seem very accessible to everyone. Like you don't have to be some hardcore tech person to, to understand what Todd Lamley is saying. So, so I do, know do you have subscriptions to access Chris Bryant, Todd Lamley material or. Um, I bought their books for okay. previous topics. So uh, like if I want to review STP, I'll like pull out my Chris Bryant book. Uh, they also have videos on YouTube, um, like a lot of the other instructors, but I do not currently have subscriptions to those two. I did buy some of their courses in the past. Um, you say you're watching on YouTube, you're just watching what they've put up for free. Correct. To figure out who I want to go with to study it. Okay. So for Anarsi, which is routing, which is not one of my strong points, I decided that I would do Kevin Wallace's Anarsi first. There are different ways to access uh, Kevin Wallace. I actually listed that, all of those on my blog. But um, I purchased his, his course. And then um, you can actually access it if you have LinkedIn Learning Premium as well. I already got through Kevin Wallace. Then I purchased J.P. Sedano's courses, his CCIE enterprise courses from Udemy. They're older, but I mean, the material hasn't changed, right? Like it's still the same protocol. So I, I uh, got through EIGRP and now I'm on OSPF with JP Sedano. And then after I get through his courses, my plan is to do Nick Russo's course on Pluralsight. I do have a Pluralsight membership. So that's how I access it. Um, while we're on that topic, if you join your local library, you can get accesses to access to a lot of resources for free. I Through the LA County Library, when I used to live in SoCal, I was able to access lynda.com. I don't know if they exist anymore. I think they were acquired by LinkedIn Learning. But um, if you sign up for a free library card and go on there, you'll be surprised by the things that you are able to access for free. Um, so... Yeah, I'll do Nick Russo through Pluralsight, which I have a membership for. Um, I did purchase the Boson um, exam sim, which is the practice test, and then the Boson net sim, which mm -hmm. is the uh, the lab. The current version of an RC, unfortunately, doesn't have any labbing. It's all multiple choice, which is kind of hard. I think it's easier to type like we're, we're used to typing. Uh, the Boson uh, net sim gives you access to their online. Um, labs as well. And they kind of have some sort of like environment where you can do some labbing. So uh, that's my current plan for an RC, but my encore study plan evolved quite a bit. Like I, I spent like a year, like floundering, trying different things. And I just couldn't find what worked for me. One thing I discovered though, during encore is that if I'm doing some activity and listening, I am able to focus really well. Like I will be studying like, like a certain protocol and like out for a run. And then when I get a practice question, I'll like remember the hill I was running when I went over that. <laughs> I, I also do a lot of studying while I'm washing the dishes or folding laundry. So I think it's like hit or miss and you have to figure out what works well for you. But I'm a visual learner, which I know you're like, but you said you're listening. So I picture everything in my head. Hmm. So, you know, when they're typing, whatever, EIGRP, like in my head, it's typing and I can see it as I'm, you know, running or doing the dishes. So I going over topics, um, having them play on my iPhone really helps me. 
and I like I like apps that will continue to play when my phone's locked and they will go to the next lesson like autoplay so that I can just run and run and I don't have to touch my phone. So it sounds like you're building the foundation with reading first and then you are listening or watching on top of that to to kind of really lock it down is is that accurate? Correct. Yes. And I usually like, I usually listen, read and then lab, and then I move on to the next topic. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when I was at Cisco live, um, I ran into Scott Epson and he had mentioned, because he knew I was struggling with Encore. He had mentioned that he highly recommended Patrick Gargano's uh, 31 days to your Encore exam. And he's like, you should get this. I think it will help you. I know you've been struggling with it. So I purchased this book, 31 Days to Your Encore Exam. And in the book, it had a tear-out sheet that you could use as like a checklist tracker for your studying. And that tear-out checklist was basically the blueprint that you get from the Cisco website with a list of all the topics. So I had torn this out, looked at, colored it, made it green, right? It was green as happiness. And (laughs) that means success for me. And then I remembered what Brad Edgeworth had said um, during one of his BGP training sessions. And he had said that you really need to pay attention to the words. And I'll be honest, I hadn't really paid attention to this until I started struggling so hard with Encore that I was like desperate to do like whatever it took to pass. And so he was saying like, if it says explain or analyze, then you just have to be familiar with the concept, right? You just, you have to know what it is. If it says differentiate or compare, um, then you have to know the differences, right? For those, I made a bunch of flashcards for Encore. I had all these flashcards that were comparing and contrasting EIGRP and OSPF because that's what the blueprint said I needed to know. Uh And then if it says configure, verify, or construct, it means you need to be able to configure it, right? So I made sure anything that said configure, verify, or construct, I made sure I, that I lapped it so I, that I had the finger muscle memory and I knew how to configure those protocols. And then if it said troubleshoot or diagnose, that meant you had to really know it and troubleshoot it. So I would lab those and I would make sure I focused on the boson labs um, to troubleshoot those protocols. So basically, like I gave it in the order, like the explain, you just have to kind of know it, differentiate, know the differences, configure, you have to be, you know, make sure you lab it and then troubleshoot, you have to be able to lab it and troubleshoot it. For Encore, they also had interpret because they had a lot of DevNet questions and those you had to like, make sure like the format was correct, like the JSON and you'd have to, they had it all in a row, like raw text. And then you had to stare at it and then write on your little board and make sure that you know the brackets and all the um that that the syntax was correct Mm -hmm. so i really 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 made sure that i knew that for encore so i'm going to do the same thing for an rc you think the blueprints are complete enough these days i always felt they were a little vague like how much do i need to know but the way you're describing the wording and how you analyze the way the blueprint items are listed it seems like you feel like they're giving you what you need to know they're helping you. I think that it does nudge you in the right direction. But when I was taking the Encore exam, I questioned if I had even followed the right, right blueprint. I don't, I, I don't know how I passed it. I got pretty depressed. One lesson I learned during Encore, though, is even when you're positive, you failed on like question three, like stop, breathe and be like, no, still do your best. Mm. Because in the end, I passed, whereas I wanted to give up like on question three, like I was like, this is the wrong exam. Not ready for this. I, well, I, I had a similar experience with the when I was trying to recertify CCIE some years ago, where the blueprint is very long for it was the route switch CCIE 
uh, exam that I was taking for research. And I took that stupid thing three times and I gave up on it because kind of the same experience. Like I have gone over this blueprint. I have read this book. I know this material. I'm getting questions like, where is that even from? You know, and I'm trying to figure out under yeah. what blueprint category would that question of these topics even come from? It's like route and switch is hard enough. And that exam at that time, which which a lot of people uh, struggled with that exam. It was not not Cisco's finest moment as far as exams go. Very high fail rate. Um, you couldn't map what we were getting asked, and then you know you'd I'd fail the exam, go back. It's like okay, well I remember getting some questions about this topic that seemed kind of esoteric. Let me dig into that and see what I can find. I, go, I took the exam a second time, didn't get any questions on that. It was on some other little weird oddball thing that they wanted us to know. It drove me. It's I guess I'm just. I have memories and scars, frustrated by the blueprints that didn't really tell me how to study for the stupid thing. And but, at Mary, it sounds like you're you haven't had that experience. I guess I don't. Like I said, like when I when I took the encore exam, I was like, oh my god, this like my studying, like I'm not ready for this. This is a disaster. But in the end, I passed um, yeah. somehow. So I. It, it at least got me to, I mean, was it a beautiful score or anything? No, like some of those percentages in areas, I'm like, how did they even let me pass? Like that was a really low percentage, but a pass is a pass. <laughs> yeah. So, so how brave are you? Do you, uh, do you register to take the exam and then start your preparation or do you wait a while and then register to take the exam? No, I do not register right away. I um, get all my materials together, start going through it. And then once I'm starting to get a grasp on how much studying I need and feel like I'm starting to get the topics, um, then I usually go take some boson practice exams. I try not to take too many because otherwise you're just going to memorize, right, the answers and pass the practice exams, which isn't going to help you. So I usually try to wait till I've gone through most of the material, if not all the material, and I do the practice exams. And then I usually do terribly on those practice exams. Like, I'll be like, oh, I think I'm ready. And I take the practice. It's like 33%. I'm like, oh, did I (laughs) did I even study the right material? So then... For me, that's usually my reality check. Like I, I read both. So I'm like, I did, wait, 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 was this material even covered? Oh my God. And then I start studying, like I start like calibrating my studying. And then once I start, like, I don't think I've scored higher than like 66%. I know they usually say you want to do like 80% on your boson exams before you, I think usually if I'm getting around 66, I'm like, oh, I'm ready for the exam. <laughs> It's probably bad to say that, but it's true. And I know Bozen and some of the other practice exam folks would say that their exams, uh, they try to make them more difficult than the exam that you're actually going to take. And so they don't say you have to score 100, but you know, if you're getting 80, then you're pretty solid in your knowledge at that point. But Mary, the counterpoint to not registering uh, is that if you register to take the exam and then you start your study, and now you've got a date in the calendar and you've got to be disciplined and you've got to get your studying done. And I know some people I've talked to use that as their motivation to make sure they stay focused and study because that exam's coming up. Yeah, I know it works for some people. It it doesn't work for me. I mean, obviously, once I get on the calendar, then I do have that stress, but I don't do it as early on. Um, I've noticed a lot of people are, they they greatly underestimate how much studying they have to do. Like, I can't tell you how many people like, like, oh, I'm going to start studying for this today. I'm like, oh, cool. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to take the exam in three months. I'm like, really? In three months? And they rarely are able to make that really short deadline. So I think if people gave themselves a little bit more time um, and were a little more more realistic, maybe they'd be setting themselves up for success, you know, better. But that's just obviously my opinion. 
So we talked about some of the materials you used. Um, are there other things? It sounds like you're making note cards or flashcards for yourself. Could you talk about how you decide what's note card worthy or why, what makes you want to put something on a note card or flashcard? Yes. If I'm struggling with a topic and it's not like something that can be labbed, I like to either put it in a notebook or a flashcard because the act of taking the material and then having to translate it into the most succinct you know, definition mm-hmm. or, um, or, or I really like tables. Tables help me a lot when I can see all the information at a glance, but that whole act of just distilling it down to what you need to know really helps me. Like I spent a lot of time, my flashcards for Encore on my website, I spent a lot of time with like, um, making the flashcards so like I could carry them, you know, when I'm out with the, with a little square and I could just stare at them. Um, mm-hmm. and then, those were the things that I needed a little extra help to remember. So okay. that whole act of writing it down helps me. Totally. I'm the same way. If there's something I need to know, then me writing it sort of in my own words uh, and helping to condense it really helps me to get something to stick in my head. Uh, and it sounds like you can use these flashcards over and over again, you know, based on where you are and what you're doing. If oh, I've got five minutes, I can kind of flip through these and yes. keep that going. Yeah. That's yeah. flashback to learning multiplication as a, as a, you know, 10 year old. <laughs> well, you yeah, both are then, describing, um, you both are <laughs> describing writing something in your own words to, uh, to, to, to make sure you got a hold of the concept and doing it in a flashcard format. I tried the flashcard format uh, a little bit, but mostly my version of that has been blogging where I'll, all right, I just read three chapters on whatever the concept is. Now I'm going to write kind of a summary blog post about the things I learned. And it's in that writing, trying to write what I learned in my own words, that it is revealed to me, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I need to go back and read that again. And then, and but, but I guess the flashcards kind of would serve that same purpose if you're writing your own flashcards. So I, yeah, uh, the, the writing it back is the was the key thing for me, though, however you do it. You prove to yourself that you know it or you don't know it if you're trying to write it down in a way that someone else could read and understand the concept that you've learned. Yeah. And I think simplifying concepts is extremely hard. Like you could babble on, but to just say this is this is difficult. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) Um, I use memory techniques to just memorize rote stuff like... um, if, if it's just like numbers or things I need to memorize, I applied it a lot to like my PMP and the IDLE certifications because I didn't care about the material. I thought mm-hmm. it was a bunch of mental fluff that would just take up space in my brain. So I applied memory techniques. I like Harry Lorraine's memory techniques. I read his book, Super Memory, Super Student, when I was in high school. And basically what he teaches you is to create absurd imagery because if it's absurd you'll remember it if it's not absurd if it's just things go together you won't remember it and so I just make up crazy stories to memorize um, processes <laughs> and numbers like I do if, the, if I need to memorize um, a bunch of numbers like RFCs or something and I can't associate the RFC with the protocol I'll just make up silly stories to connect them <laughs> What's your opinion on official vendor training classes, Mary? Because I know uh, Cisco and others will try to upsell you on those. They're really spendy, but uh, have you had any experience there and an opinion? Are they worth it? I think they're really good if you can get them right before you're going to be working with that technology. Like if you have a project and you're going to be using a technology you're not familiar with, and they send you to that one week really expensive training where you're just so exhausted, 
but they hammer it into you and then you're ready for your project. I think that's good. I've never done like a boot camp style for a certification. So I can't speak to that. Um, so, it, but as far as like learning something, like sending me to a class for one week and hammering it into my head, but then I don't use it for a while. I don't think that's helpful. Like I can't retain a bunch of stuff in one week and it'll just fall out of my head. Like it's, it's almost like yeah. the more quickly I learn something, the more quickly I forget it. Yeah. I've done a bunch of boot camps uh, over the years. Well, one, I did a CCIE boot camp many years ago with uh, Narbic Kacharians. And Narbic said something that stuck with me about boot camps. He said, It's finishing school. Don't come to the boot camp cold. You need to be most of the way to being ready to take the exam. Then you come to the boot camp. The boot camp's going to like put it all together for you. It's not the place where you start. Kind of because of what you said, Mary. You're not going to remember it all, all this stuff just crammed into your head in a week. It doesn't really work that way. Um, Home lab, Mary, have you got one? What do you think? I don't currently have a lab. Um, I have a bunch of equipment, but it's outdated uh, for the projects I'm currently working on. I do. Uh, I did spin up EveNG with uh, CML, EveNG Professional with mm -hmm. CML so I can get the licensing with a friend. So he coughed up the equipment. I coughed up the licensing and we're sharing that right now. I, I also use dcloud and davnet if i just need to like troubleshoot one thing or see how something works the cisco labs are quite nice when they work just don't do it the last minute like because hmm. you have to schedule it and it may not be available for like a week so give yourself time but if you give yourself time and you're patient they have really good labs dcloud is was that free to use i remember talking to someone at cisco live about it years ago they were showing it off and it some seemed like at them. the time it was free oh, some of them okay yeah some of them are free if you go in there and there's something you want to do or learn but you don't have access uh you could talk to your cisco salesperson and they might be able to assign it to you i've had some assigned to me um by my sales rep how about uh recertification do you always research for every cert you have or how do you make that decision I recertify if it's still relevant and I care about it. I almost let my PMP go, but then I thought about it and I was like, no, it's my plan B in life. So I did for PMP though, it's continuing education, right? It's like, it's called PDUs in, in PMP world. Uh -huh. So uh, it's not like I had to retest each time. I just had to prove that I'd accrued enough PDUs for the renewals. So if it's still relevant, yes. Otherwise I just let them go. Especially if I have to retest. I don't know that I want to retest on very many things. Do you keep certs that you do you have uh, re-upped uh, on your resume or do you let things fall off? You know what? I had removed everything, but then someone told me that your MCSC is like always good. I'm like my MCSC from 2000. So I think I, I think oh. it's still back. I think I put it like on my resume or something. Like I was like, well, if anyone wants to migrate to 2000, I'm your girl. Surely my NT4 MCSC <laughs> from 20 odd years ago is not relevant at this point. My goodness. So I did throw that back on at some point, but um, otherwise, no, if it's expired, I just take it off. Well, Mary, you got any final thoughts, uh, tips or things we didn't discuss about certifications you want to share with folks? I think one important thing is I always imagine that I'm a horse with blinders because all of us get really distracted by shiny things. And if I don't keep my little blinders on and stay focused, then I'm going to want to do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to want to jump to Ansible. I'm going to want to jump to cloud. And then I won't be able to complete what I'm currently working on. So keeping the blinders on, 
focus on your own path. Just remember, even though it seems like everyone's moving faster than you, like every, every, every all that you're studying and everything you're doing is moving you forward. And um, I would highly recommend the compound effect book that shows you like every little thing you do, it adds up exponentially. So just stay focused and um, stay focused on your own path. Try not to compare yourself too much. I know we all do. I do too, but I try not to. When you say you have blinders on, does that mean you don't watch Netflix while you're, um, you you cut that out of your life entirely for, you know, a month or no. something? Okay. I, no, more like um, trying to, like, everyone is getting this certification. Everyone's getting that certification. Yeah. And, you know, and like your friend who you're studying with has suddenly decided they're going to do three other certifications. Like, it's possible that they can do it. But from my past experience, you and you tend to end up doing nothing when you think you're going to do a lot of things. So it's better to just stay your path and like stay committed to it. Mm-hmm. And then you can move on to the next thing. Okay. So it's, it's stay on target rogue leader kind of thing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I have the look at the butterfly syndrome from time to time. And it's so easy because you were just talking about Ansible and all the stuff going on in cloud. And there's all these different directions that you can go off in. And there's a lot of new certifications coming up, new conferences that you can attend that are very narrow and focused on things that are fascinating and so on. And uh, getting lost in all the different things that you might be studying distracts you from the one thing. If you stay on target and you get your studying done and you pass that exam, now you've got a cert and you can move on to the next thing. But uh, but getting distracted is uh, it's fun. It's tempting. It's easy to uh, to do that sometimes. It is. It really hey, is. look at all this Kubernetes networking I could be learning. I know, right? Right, right. So Seriously. Mary, for saying this has been a great conversation today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom on certification prep. How do people follow you on the internet? I'm on Twitter. I'm at Running Green Girl with one G in the middle. And I'm on LinkedIn as Mary Fasang. And your blog? Ah, my blog, <laughs> networkgreengirl.com. Networkgreengirl.com, which is how I discovered your passion for certifications because you've been writing about that uh, there, here and there with your different study materials, a lot of great study guides that you've compiled for, uh, for various certs to help folks out. Great stuff, Mary. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, thanks again for making time to share your wisdom today, Mary. And thanks to you if you've listened all the way to the end, because of course, podcasts can help you with certifications too. And we've got a massive lineup of podcasts for your professional career development here at the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. Because if all you listen to is heavy networking, you are missing out on the networking nerdery of IPv6 Buzz, Network Break, Heavy Strategy, and our latest edition, the Heavy Wireless Podcast, hosted by instructor and wireless LAN professionals conference head honcho, Keith Parsons. And we we make it easy for you to find all of our shows. Just search for Packet Pushers in your podcast software. We're everywhere, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Our entire lineup of shows will appear or visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe for easy clicking. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>